Yeah, I remember, it's a big pivot in my business life, and I remember kind of, I knew as soon as four Dragon's End aired, I knew there was a glass ceiling to it. I knew that the idea was there, but it was a product that needed to be acquired by a bigger group for it to be merged with a different company, for it to be successful. It was more of like an add-on or a feature. There was a glass ceiling in terms of the physical product. There was a glass ceiling in terms of like the customization. There was a limit of how many orders you could do, and we were hitting that, and I was like, I remember a friend of mine a friend of mine's parents, her parents bought a house in Wales and I, it was the first of a time I ran everything off my phone, like my whole life at that point off my phone. I remember leaving my phone at the house at like one o'clock and I'd go up and I went to the golf course or whatever and I was sitting there and I was like, is this actually the life I want to live in terms of building something I don't enjoy? Though the money was pretty deep, it was very good. We were progressing quite well, but there was a glass ceiling and there was only so far we were going to be able to take it. And I was thinking like, am I really enjoying what I'm building? And the answer was, no, I'm not enjoying what I'm building. Thank you so much for clicking on this episode of Millennial Entrepreneur. The ambition of the podcast is to show relatable stories from young entrepreneurs doing some incredible things to inspire the next generation, including you listening wherever you are. We've been doing this podcast for over three years and the ambition has not changed. The only thing that has changed is the scale of where we want to go. We want to bring on bigger guests for you guys to show more and more relatable and inspiring stories from young entrepreneurs across the world. The majority of you guys listening haven't subscribed to the podcast yet. All you have to do is click that subscribe button wherever you're listening on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and now allow us to bring on bigger guests and ask the questions to them that you really want to hear. And it really is that simple. So thank you again for clicking on the podcast and enjoy the episode. Miles, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Good, how are you? Yeah, very well, thanks. It's been a while since I've wanted to get, to get you on, especially because... Um, you know, there's a lot of coverage, especially after you were on Dragon's Den, the youngest ever person to get investment on Dragon's Den as a, as a solo founder. Yeah. Um, that's basically how I came across you. But that, that moment in your life must have been pretty crazy. Yeah, pretty crazy indeed. Um, yeah, 18, uh, recently dropped out of university at the time. Uh, never, kind of no exposure to any sort of kind of real business acumen. Um, and then suddenly thrown on, on Dragon's Den in front of uh, five professionals was, was, was pretty, a pretty interesting uh, time in my life. And then when it got, when it aired was, was pretty crazy as well. You know, we hit multiple million view videos on Facebook, TikTok, uh, and then 4 million people like watching it live on the BBC. So uh, yeah, not, not a bad uh, turn out to be honest. Yeah. We'll obviously talk about Dragon's Den a bit more later on in the episode, because I know people are like are massively interested. We've had people from Dragon's Den on the podcast before. We had, we had Arminda very, very, you know, early on, who was the youngest, I think that came with a group. So he was, he was 15 or 16 at the time uh, with Boot Buddy. So if anyone's interested, go back into the archives. I think he was like episode number 20 or something. So we've recorded like a hundred episodes since then, but um, but yeah, really excited to have you on. And I'd love to start off the the podcast essentially with, um, how you started Hayes Cards. Hmm. Yeah, so a bit of backstory about me. Um, I went to the University of, sorry, London Institute of Banking and Finance to study finance at University in London. Um, I was uh, on scholarship at the time, so I was rowing for the, for the university. And I kind of was in my dorm room quite a lot, and I was always had a bit of like business acumen about me. Um, I would have thought, and then I was kind of thinking like, why is the product we use most? So your bank card, your business card, why is it so boring? And why is it so unpersonal? You know, now we're starting to see Revolut um, introduce kind of like customized cards, but at the time Revolut uh, weren't really that prominent um, in that area. So we kind of thought, why not create a metal 
credit and debit card that you can fully customize online. You can upload photos, all of that really. Um, yeah, and long story short, we kind of threw lots of prototyping um, using uh, products from China, different templates in the manufacturing in the UK. We ended up making a prototype. So my first Santander current account card, we ended up turning to metal. Bit of a bodge job, but over time we kind of refined the processes and managed to be able to create the first metal credit and debit card. And then it was like, right, how do we market this? Is it actually a feasible product to, to sell? Um, we ended up, I ended up getting my student maintenance loan in. So in the UK, you get like a maintenance loan. And I spent that all on a laser engraver. So in my dorm room, you can imagine, so I was an 18 year old uni student, you know, you've got your pot noodles, whatever. And I had a big fat laser engraver that would engrave and etch credit cards. And in the morning I would, I would drop them off at the Royal Mail drop off and then go to university. And it's a pretty crazy time in my life, really. When you say um, that this is, you mentioned we quite a lot, but in, in actual fact, it was just you in your room at university with a. Yeah, with a I, I, <laughs> I say we because it's like, well, yeah, yeah, it was just me, unfortunately. Um, yeah, it's a, it was an absolutely crazy time in my life when I look back on it. Like, you don't realize how ridiculous it is until you look back on it. Um, and I was just kind of doing it with no thought, really. Um, there was no, you know, a lot of times now you, you, you think about your business, think about your business plan, whereas there, there was just kind of like jumping right into it um, and fail on, on the go and trying to re- fail quick, fail fast, and then recover fast. Um, yeah, but like two and a half grand laser engraver, that was a bit of a bit of a hit to the to the budget, the food budget that week. Um, uh, anyway, long story short, we managed to release five different colors of massive credit and debit cards. We filmed every single card we made and put it on TikTok. We had an account, it, it, it got banned, unfortunately, I'm guessing due to kind of the safety concerns, but we were growing quite rapidly on TikTok. It was a time where you could post a TikTok video and it'd do a few thousand views um, with just a crappy video. And then we started pushing them to Instagram Reels and then we did a lot of outreach. Um, we secured uh, the likes of Porsche as well and on the beach, one of the UK's largest holiday providers. Um, Bear in mind, I was literally just in my university dorm, kind of like winging it almost, but it, it was starting to work. Um, our first website was on Wix, built by myself, and we were bootstrapping it, no investment, nothing like that, really. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's a wonderful story. Like, I, I, I was very much invested in the story because it's a very cool one. And uh, I guess, like, how did it, how did you first sort of like make the first metal card? I guess like just a, a bit more detail around that before we go into the, the growth side of things. A, a lot of trial and error. Uh, you know, it's quite easy now in, nowadays to kind of find a product online and, and, and sell it. Whereas this is not like a product out there you can just buy from China and ship exactly. it over. Yeah. So number one, especially when you had no investment, no development costs or no, no development budget, we had to, um, we, we uh, contacted a local um, stainless steel metal kind of um, manufacturing facility to create 10 prototypes that had the like the card EMV chip, uh, the mag strip on the back. And then we kind of had to learn and kind of, it was just a lot of back and forward and testing really, kind of trying out what method works and like a lot of failing and then trying to refine the process so that if we make 10 cards, only nine of them fail uh, and then kind of increase the, the chances that they would work. So just lots of testing, really, on the cheap, the cheapest way possible. That's so cool. So yeah, you bought this laser engraver with your student loan, which we're not going to endorse or anything. But you can, you can <laughs> no, we're not. Do what you want. We're not. No, no. <laughs> but that's that's what you did, and then uh, 
yeah, built these prototypes, got them to work, which is cool. All, all again from a university dorm. And uh, I'm guessing you weren't going into any lectures at this point. I think I remember, this was quite early on in my, so it was my, in my first year, and it was quite early on in my kind of uh, university endeavor, really. And I think my attendance went to like 64%. So it was a time where you could almost watch lectures online as well. So yes, my attendance was, was quite low, but I was trying to ca- catch up on the with PowerPoints. But overall, it was taking a bit of a nosedive, mm, to be honest with mm. you. So I guess um, at what point did you decide to like grow the business in terms of like, what were the sort of growth strategies there? Because yeah, you got it to work, you test out with your own card. Um, you, you bought this metal engraver, I guess. Um, uh, what were you, what were you trying out to get it to work? And then what was, what was actually the, the massive growth factor? Yeah, I think our first thought was how do we, how do we market this and, and grow it as cheaply as possible? Cause we had no investment. Like I said, um, at first, Number one, the product cost was quite small. So we, we uh, I remember we ran at like a 90% margin at the end. Um, I, I, it was about a year and a half ago now, so I'm, try, I'm trying to think back. But a lot of our channels were kind of social media, TikTok, Facebook, even Reddit as well. Um, kind of just pushing the product out there because it is a cool product. It's a visual product. And people like to engage with a product that, that's, that's visual and they can kind of, um, it's customized to them. And it's quite satisfying I'm sure some of our old videos are still up, but the the way the laser engraver kind of etches the metal out is quite a cool um, kind of ASMR satisfying thing to do. So we kind of push loads of videos um, on my personal account, on Hayes Cards' account. And yeah, just a lot of trial and error. And and the best thing about the product is it's it's a bit of word of mouth. And then because the products were so high, high margin, we recycled that money that we made and put it back into kind of TikTok ads, paid social, um, and a better website. Mm. So the majority of it came from these visual video elements, mm. such as TikTok, Instagram 100%. reels. Yeah. yeah, I hired a, I hired a friend of I hired a friend of mine. She was really good at. Um, well, she she had no past experience, but all she had used was her personal TikTok account, and we hired her on like a whatever like two hundred fifty pound a month retainer to create videos for us, and they just did so well. You know, there was just a knack to it of like the staying up with the trends, and if there was a trend we'd create a card on that card on the trend and then it would do well on tiktok so it's all about kind of for us social media was our, all our strategy strategy sorry and that social media strategy with the the short form videos and a 250 pound retainer from from this girl that helped you out that got you to 120k revenue in terms did, of like yeah. within six months that's insane yeah six seven months yeah um yeah number one our product was pretty high, high margin we sold them for 84 pound 84 73 if i can remember correctly and then up to 104 at some points and then those big kind of corporate deals as well helped quite a lot because um well there's no marketing spend there uh, securing the likes of porsche so yeah i think a lot of word of mouth and a lot of like kind of customer service and making sure that every product we sent out was perfect i guess like with, with those guys like the the big corporate clients how did you get those because were they did they discover you on tiktok or was it through different channels TikTok. Um, we really? were on LinkedIn at that point. Yeah, we, we had a lot of um, associates, those companies kind of, I'm guessing they found the video just scrolling on their, their personal and shared it to higher ups or whatever. Yeah. Um, or buyers or whatever. But um, yeah, we did we did a batch of um, metal wallets as well. So we weren't just fully cards. So we had these metal wallets, which were also customizable. Um, and then like these metal business cards, which were also customizable as well. So it wasn't mm. all about the credit and debit cards we had the metal wallets and the metal cars and like the idea behind that was 
Yes, if you Google Meta Wallet, it says a hundred different options, but ours were cool and customizable. You know, you could upload a photo for the same price and, and get it engraved and make it personal for the same price as a competitor down the road that had them on for fifteen pounds, but they were just plain black. So mm-hmm. we kind of went with that theme and kind of, um, I guess, that layout really. What was the What was the craziest point in terms of those those initial sort of six months? Because going from sort of zero, just buying the laser engraver to yeah, one hundred twenty thousand pounds worth of revenue. There must have been points where you got an order for say you know hundreds per week, and it's still just you in in your in your dorm room. So it's like, how did you how did you manage to to keep up with all of that? Um, I probably had, looking back, I probably had an unhealthy relationship with sleep. Um, I didn't sleep very well. I struggled to sleep in general now, anyway. But at the time, I just would. Uh, Number one, lectures became like a second thought, to be quite frank. I felt like I was spinning a lot of plates um, and some were falling falling off. But yeah, I, I, I would just say it's just like but we, I was back to back. We Every minute that we that I had spare, we, I was putting it back into kind of fulfilling orders. You, I think what I struggled with was the how quick it... I, I remember someone saying to me before I started the business, like... Um, uh, fast growth can be an issue. And I was like, what do you mean, you know, growing too fast can be an issue. I was, I've, I've definitely realized fast growth. It, 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 we didn't have the processes in place to be able to do those kind of orders and that kind of quantity. So, I mean, we made some mistakes like every business. Um, and I feel like the issue we had was when you have a small business, you make one mistake, it's okay because you only have, let's say you have a hundred orders. One mistake isn't that big of an issue but when, when you have when you make a when you make a mistake and you've got such a high turnover of orders that mistake becomes quite a big mistake and we had a couple of them where it was like a oh shit kind of moment um but yeah a, a lot of strategy a lot of kind of just cracking on you know if you look at a, a lot of today's startups there's there's a lot of paperwork behind the uh behind the structure and behind the processes where and I almost look at that in a bit of wasted time, to be honest, because for us, it was more like just getting stuck in and getting crack- cracking on instead of worrying about the the processes. It was like, let's get our heads down and crack on with these orders. You know, I drafted in friends of mine as well, to kind of pack pack orders. And at one point we were, we, we were get, buying a second laser engraver and I was quite worried about the power usage of the two laser engravers in a dorm room. Because obviously we don't pay any, uh, university don't pay any uh, utilities. So there's just things like that that you have to worry about, which you don't wouldn't have to normally worry about. It's you know university dorm, you've got fire hazards, you've got. I mean, it, 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 when I, it was just a monstrosity of a of a uh, <laughs> a dorm room, to be honest. Um, but, it, but, it, but 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 what I'm trying to say is it worked, and we cracked on, and we, we made it work, um, which is a good lesson, I, I think. Yeah, I kind of I kind of agree with you. So I always think that because you know when you start a business and you're sort of more established and you, you especially if you come from corporate, you get to you know you start it and you're you are sort of always thinking about that paperwork stuff in terms of you know registering the company and like doing you know trademarks and stuff like that. Which don't get me wrong, it's just, it's very important for sure, but there is there is definitely some like something valuable in terms of just literally getting stuck in from day one and just trying to fail as fast as you can and then learning from that. And if it does sort of take off to a certain point, then you start worrying about registering a company and doing the trademarks and things like that. Because I feel like people get too caught up. A hundred percent. I look back and I I don't know if I saw it as a business and it's crazy to think that 
now looking back, but at the time, I don't think I saw it as a business and, and I had a different mindset. Whereas now the way we run our current company, this is such a structured mindset, whereas there I was kind of just, it was a bit of a hobby. And I think that's why it worked is that I just cracked on and whatever made logical sense, we did that instead of kind of prancing around on Zoom for two hours. It was more like we just cracked on and we, we tried and tested and if it failed, we moved on. Um, and the best thing was, it was just me. We had no investors. We had, no investors are great and they're good to bounce feedback off, but it was just me running the company and I could do what I want and I could test what I want, uh, what I wanted to do. Um, so yeah. Yeah, sometimes at the beginning, taking the wrong decision quickly is better than taking the right decision, but it's taking you a long time to do. Uh, I'm a big believer in that. Whereas if, you, if you're more established, as you said, then yeah, it makes sense to take time and, and feed, you know, get feedback in order to like, you know, make moves. But at the beginning, I think, yeah, just making a decision quickly and learning from that rather than thinking too deeply, it makes a ton of sense. I look, I look back, on, back on there and I think I couldn't ask for like a better experience in terms of the lessons I learned, you spend a lot of time, as an entrepreneur, I think you spend a lot of time, you learn a lot about yourself and a lot about, because you spend a lot of time with yourself, you learn a lot about how you think. And I, and I look back and I think, I couldn't have asked for like a better work experience. I call it work experience, the first company, I, that's what I call it day to day. The, the, the lessons we learn in and out, there's no way they could be replicated in like a classroom or in a textbook or, Though I wasn't doing a business degree, I felt like I was doing a business degree because you you learn so much on the job. You're talking with people every day. You are so high up, and you face like a ton of problems, right? Like you face you face the music pretty early yeah. on, um, and you learn to handle stress. Like I said, I I I used to row um, for Great Britain as a junior, um, and a lot of the things we learn because as an athlete, you learn that like failing is not an option. How to handle stress? Let's say you're in a game or a match, whatever. And it's the same principles there. Like you've got to learn to handle that stress. No one's going to come and save you. And I think it, it, there was just so many lessons learned. Like for example, you you just it's that hands-on experience that just cannot be replicated. That's why I just love the idea of apprenticeships. You know, if I though thank God I went to university because it worked out the way it worked out. But if I was looking back, you know, the apprenticeship route it's just perfect for for those kind of avenues, kind of the startup business side. To give you to give you guys listening an idea of what like <laughs> this is definitely what Miles thinks in terms of um, I guess like zero paperwork. You registered for Dragons Den without actually registering the registering the business. Yeah, which is insane. Like you applied, you applied for one of the the biggest like uh, TV shows without yeah, actually registering can, the business. I can give the story on that. I um, I was eighteen. When, I, I, my birthday's in August, so I was, I was eighteen for the whole year. Um, and I, I, I've been watching Dragon's Den since I was quite young, Pro, I mean, like maybe 10 or 11 or whatever with Peter Jones or whoever. And I remember I was in my university library and I was like, there was no thought about actually going on Dragon's Den. It was just like, let's just fill the form in and see what happens. Like there's nothing's gonna come of it. And it was the worst application form I'd ever written out in my whole entire life. The, I mean, the, the, the boxes were so big and I was like, I can't bother spending so much time on this application form when it's not gonna happen. You know, I was so young, it was just, it wasn't a feasible option in my head, but I filled out anyway, because I was like, oh, why not fill out? I get a call from, or an email or a call from this lady from Dragon's Den, from the BBC, and she's like, Miles, we'd like to, we'd like to um, put you on for the, put you on for the the next round, you know, interview for the next round. And I was like, right, okay, not going to get through, but I'll, I'll do it anyway. And I kind of, she's asked like, what do you value your company? I'm like, 
I'm 18, I just started this business a long ago. I don't, oh, I'm, on, I'm at university. And I'm just thinking, oh, 100 grand. Yeah, I'll buy you 100 grand. That's pretty cool that my business is worth 100 grand. Anyway, from then it stuck. And then that's what we, that's what we uh, went to Dragon's Den on. But anyway, long story short. But yeah, an absolute crazy period in, in, in my life, but loads of lessons learned. Mm. And yeah, they were, they were asking for like paperwork and stuff like that that you didn't have at the time. Mm. They were, I remember we had to be spent a lot of time with a lot of accountants kind of getting everything organized and in order because you have to understand, I was an 18 year old. My parents had no clue what I was doing. You know, I, my parents didn't, it was such an off the cut thing to do, start the business at university. No one knew what I was doing. We, the processes weren't in place. We kind of just cracked on uh, and then figured that a bit out later. Luckily, we, we got it all sorted and, you know, got onto the show or whatever. But, 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 but yeah, I mean, I just couldn't ask for a better kind of uh, experience into the startup world. Mm. Thing is, like, we, I've, I've obviously talked to, spoken to a lot of people that have been on Dragon's Den, both, uh, you know, got investment, haven't got investment, haven't mm. aired in terms of their episode. Um, so I, I hear a lot about behind the scenes on Dragon's Den, but for people mm. that, I guess are listening to your story for the first time, or listening to you know behind the scenes of Dragons there for the first time. How how long was that whole application process? If you can obviously share, um, mm. yeah, and then then it, we'll go, we'll go from there. I'm under NDA a little bit, but I can vaguely share kind of the, the the bits and pieces. I just remember it being the most stressful few months of my life. Really. Um, so this research when she contacted me on day one, I thought it's like the last time I'm going to speak to her. She's going to ask me about it, so I'm going to go on to the next page and then it's going to be like, sorry, we can't take you any further. And I remember she called me back, I don't know, whatever the time gap was, and was like, Marge, on to next stage. And then it went, next stage. And I was like, oh, crap, next stage. Oh, crap, next stage. To the point, and, and this poor, I, poor girl, I spoke to her every single day for like that four or five month period. And I think it was around four months maybe. Um, and I spoke to her every day because we were just back and forward with like... The, the amount of paperwork they needed. Like due diligence stuff. Yeah, it, yeah. And I didn't know the terminology or for term sheet, whatever it was, or the pitch decks. I didn't know any of that. So we were, I was learning constantly. Yeah. And I wasn't I wasn't on LinkedIn. You know, I, could, I didn't even know what LinkedIn was. I couldn't care less about LinkedIn. To be honest. I couldn't care less about that or the corporate or the startup side. And I just would be right. Anyway, long story short, after kind of like four or five months, she, I'm on holiday uh, with a friend at the time and she calls me. She's like, Miles, you're, you're on Dragon's Den. Like, you need to come in and film. I'm like, what, what do you mean? I'm on and she's like, in two weeks, you need to be in Manchester to film. I'm like, oh my God. So at this point, I don't actually feel like, it hasn't kicked in that I'm actually going on Dragon's Den. Um, bear in mind, still 18, been watching the show for like the past eight, eight years. Mm. Going to Manchester, I'm in this hotel and she's like, right, Miles, we'll meet you at the studio at 11. I'm going on to the studio and it's, it's like two, me and this other guy, uh, his name was James Higgins. He was on the show as well. And we were in the, uh, we were in the green room for like six hours before any of us went on. And we were just talking for six hours. Six like, hours. Wow. Yeah. She's like, he's like 30 yard. We were just talking back and forth for like six hours, practicing our pitch. It was incredible. But when they went, he went in first, actually. Um, he went in first and you, you, you don't see anything to do with Dragon's Den when you're in the green room. You're kind of getting your makeup done or whatever. He goes in and like an hour and a half later, you get no warning and he's like, Miles, come through. And it's like, holy shit. 
uh, I was. Your heart must it, have been like was, pounding for about an hour. It was and probably the first time I. It was the first time I'd worn like a shirt and suit pants. It, I was. I was when he when James went in. I thought, oh my god! Like I, I was asking the crew, like, when am I on next? When am I on next? They're like, I've got no, I've got no clue. And they called me in, and it was just the <laughs> a bit of PTSD. To be honest with you, the seeing the whole behind the scenes set. It's such a big operation, and I think that's what kind of threw me off a little bit. But anyway. Because I'd seen so many fails on Dragon's Den, I was like, I can't be that 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 person who forgets their number. So I walked out and I gave my number straight away. Um, and yeah, and, and and you kind of forget you're on a TV show, and you just start pitching to them and discussing the idea. And luckily, mm. we had a we had a good ride um, and scored investment from Stephen Bartlett. But it, the experience was incredible. And I remember the when I when 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 uh, we finished recording, it was about two hours or so of the actual pitch. I left and I was like, what the hell actually happened? Uh, like that was crazy. And I ended up telling my, my parents didn't know I, I was going on, actually. It was only after they found out I scored investment that I told them. They didn't know you were going on. <laughs> yeah, because I didn't want them to, I didn't want to not get investment. And then, oh, right. I, I see, I, I see. And then, that, then, well, they would have found out anyway, because I would have been on TV. <laughs> yeah, you would have been on TV, yeah. I didn't want to go on and then not get investment and then be like, look, mum and dad, I didn't get any investment. So anyway, I told them after that I got investment. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, I, I think like what people don't see is is yeah, sitting in the green room. Um that that whole camera setup obviously you don't see because you're you're the one that's viewing on TV. Um I think another surprising thing that I learned like a few a couple of years ago was that the actual pitch itself isn't like 10 minutes, 15 minutes is what what's on TV. It's about it's about what, like two hours, right? Two hours. I've heard some people say it's like three hours for them, but mine was about an hour and a half, two hours. Um it goes by quite fast, to be honest with you. And I remember I went to the wall. So they've got like the wall and you go to, you get your offer and you go to the wall. And I went to the wall twice. And a lot of people, when they go and drank down, they think, oh, like, who, who am I going to accept if I get an offer? Mm. <laughs> the lack of, I must have had a lack of confidence in myself. I didn't think I was going to get an offer. So I, I had no one in mind of like who I would pick. And I got three offers, uh, Peter, Tuka and Stephen. And I go to the wall, I'm like, oh, shit. I need to go to the wall and just think about this. But I couldn't, because there's so many cameras and it's such a production, it's so hard to make logical choices. And yeah. I was in the corner like, what the hell is this? So I instantly was like, right, I can't pick. I turned around and was like, uh, along the lines of, what can you offer to me in terms of mentorship? And I, but they, they only showed me going to the wall once. So I actually went to the wall twice. And I turned around and they were like, Miles, we can do this, there's this. Um, I think Steve said along the lines of family, like, you're my it, you know, I've been down your pathway, which is very true. He went to Manchester University, um, Manchester Met and, and, and dropped out as well. So it's all kind of the same. And I, but then a part of me was like, Peter Jones is Peter Jones. Ten-year-old mm. Miles would have watched him and thought, that's really cool that it's Peter Jones. But I just kind of thought they're all really good candidates and Steve was best for us at the time. But, but yeah, turned around, went up to the wall and was like, I'll accept your offer, and, and 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 that was it from there. But very cool. But yeah, what what I I just think there's so many things that fell into place to make that happen, um, mm. which was great. Can you discuss what happens after? So after you accept an, uh, an offer? Yeah, I mean it'd be different. I don't know how much I can say, but it's different for everyone. You go, kind of go through the same due diligence processes you would with any other investment, really. From that point on, it's just like a normal investment deal. Mm. Um, yeah, like you would with with anyone else. Mm. Okay, got you. Um, in terms of Sorry, yeah, go on. No, I was no, going to no. say this. There's a from the 
from the date it's filmed to the day, it's, day, day it gets aired is like six, seven months. So we had that six, seven months of just growing the company in silence uh, where no one knew we'd be on a Dragon's Den, which is so annoying because you want to shout out about it and let yeah, everyone of know. Because I knew I, I was younger. So that was like the key thing for me was like, if I would have gone at 19, it wouldn't have, it wasn't good. It had to be 18. And I was just, thank God I was born in August. So that was 18 at the time. Um, but, but, but yeah, incredible opportunity. Yeah, so I was going to talk to you about that in terms of, so I, yeah, it's, it's a few months before it airs uh, after you record. When it does record, I guess, like, how does your life, and we talked about this beginning of the episode, so like, how did your life, like, what happened in the moment? And then how did your life change after that? Yeah, um, so we only, we had a rough idea of when they were going to show it. We could kind of predict when I was going to be out, but not the exact month, sorry, not the exact week. We, we knew kind of January, February time is when we when I would probably air, but we had no confirmation from the BBC. They were very strict on on um, the dates that I'd be released. And I was thinking, look, I need to be able to, I need to get more stock. I need to get uh, logistics involved in terms mm. of packaging, whatever. And they wouldn't tell me. And I, I, we only found out two weeks in advance we were going to be aired on that week. So it was like, a, we've got two weeks to try and sort everything we need to sort. Um, I know contestants who their products need to be ordered six months in advance. And it's like, how are you meant to prepare your stock room or whatever two weeks in advance? Um, so that was definitely a bit of a, uh, a knock to, to say. But look, I was quite lucky that in those six months, I had a lot of support around me um, in terms of people from the investment or whatever. We, we ha I had a good amount of support where I could learn a lot in those six months about like the space I was going into. It was almost like an accelerated business course, mm. to be honest with you. Um, learn a lot about kind of the genuine logistics behind the business instead of just, okay, the idea is there, but how do we make this um, into a proper business uh, with, with all the bells and whistles? And luckily we had that six month time period to get ready for Dragon's Den and that the logistics that happened. But when we aired, it was a complete whirlwind. Um, I think four and a half million people were watching the show live, uh, four million on Facebook, just one million views on Facebook. I think well, actually seven million views on Facebook, a couple million views on TikTok. I mean, it was just pretty incredible. Mm. Um, but yeah, I've actually moved home. We, we moved into an office and I moved back to Manchester when I dropped out of university. So I was in my dorm room when it aired. I was at, at home and in the office trying to kind of control everything. But yeah, like I said, learning on the job and kind of trying to fail quickly and, and yeah. And then in terms of like orders and website visits, like was it, mm. was it crazy? Yeah, it was manic. Um, Probably didn't prepare as much as I should have, I would say. But it's such a difficult thing to test for. You know, you you can only predict it so much. And it's such a difficult thing and you just have to go for it. Not, it's not going to be mm. perfect in terms of, and that's kind of my, my thinking behind it was, let's prepare as much as we can, but it could go better, it could go worse. And it went really good for us. Um, and we, we definitely learned fairly quickly like how to handle the... Um, the volume and the customer service and yeah but to be quite frank with you it's an incredibly stressful process after the after the den in terms of the orders because your business kind of goes from doing okay to like suddenly overnight you you're dealing with the amount of emails publicity whatever overnight just just explodes so mm. so yeah yeah, I mean, it's it sounds like an absolute crazy process, and that's that's again how I how I discovered you for the first time. It was like BBC articles and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, like apart, so outside of the business side of things, but for you personally, 
because you said like you didn't have a LinkedIn account back then, but obviously you must have set one up. And it's like all of that stuff, like for you outside outside of Hayes Cars, like for you personally, how does it change you? Um, yeah, it definitely did change a lot of things in my in my personal life. Um, it, it, it's you as a person changes as well. You know, if mm. you're when you're dealing with that amount of also, you have to understand your life changes. You go from a university, think if anyone's watching, you know, think of your university life and then tr triple it to the amount of stress. I mean, I really had to learn how to handle stress and how to, you know, I had a, I had a girlfriend at the time. She, we'd been together like two and a half years. You know, she had to, she had to figure out a, a different miles and a different, you know, because me as a person changed like anyone else would because the amount of stress you, you, I felt like a, like a, and I do now, like a 40 year old man, because you're learning so much. Like a one day in my life back then was like, oh my God, that's a day. Mm -hmm. We didn't have any weekends. It was all like Monday, Monday to Monday. Um, and I think, you know, my parents had to learn to adapt slightly. Uh, my girlfriend had to learn how to adapt slightly. Um, and my friends as well, you know, you, your life changes. You realize you can't go out and drink there. You know, you can't go here. And everyone kind of has to learn. Um, I mean, what do you What do you mean yeah. in terms of that you can't go out in certain places? Well, you, you, for, for no, I mean in terms of I mean in terms of you're working on the business. You're working. You're working. Oh, I on see. Like so, dedicating more time to the business. Dedicating dedicating more time. Um, in my kind of head, it was like this is a once in a lifetime opportunity where I've got this this some great people around me. Why not make the most of it? Um, and, I, and and I think for me as well, I knew I was learning so much and I was progressing so much. Um, I dropped out of university as well, so, I, so I'm, I was full time, and it was a bit of a whirlwind of a of a time. And I look back and I think, whatever happens now, I've probably been through like the what felt like the most stressful part of my life, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, and kind of just building on that, really. Was the stress just from the business, or was it from say publicity? Or was it from people? Like I don't know. Like was it just from the business side of things? I think yes, it was the business side of things. You know. You, the people i didn't have a huge full-time team um i didn't really know the direction i wanted to take the business For, i think it was quite a difficult progression because it was just a university business so the foundations we had built it on weren't for it to be this popular mm. you know it's like i almost explained like we, we we had smart foundations for a small house and then suddenly we built a big house on small foundations um and that's i think that's incredibly difficult to to do and progress. And I knew that was a bit of glass ceiling to it, to be honest. But to what coming to, it, it was just a very short time in terms of the pressure. When you start doing well, the pressure to keep doing well, I think is pretty difficult. Um, but like I said, I had a great, you know, every Wednesday I'd meet up with a group of founders and kind of discuss problems. I was the youngest by far there. And just having those people around me that I could just bounce ideas off and, you know, they might have 30, 30 years in the business world and they go, Miles, that's stupid. Or Miles, think about it this way or whatever. Um, I definitely had a lot of imposter syndrome kind of brewing, to be honest. Mm, because you were what, like 18, 19? So it, it oh, I, was, I, was eight, I was 18 at the bulk of this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, fresh, pretty fresh. Uh, and then was, nine, was 19, turned 19 and we were still progressing really nicely. So yeah, I think just a lot of learning, to be honest with you. Mm. And then, so you talk about the glass ceiling and, um, that's, that's essentially where the, the acquisition came from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember 
it's a big pivot in my business life. And I remember kind of, I knew as soon as before Dragon's End aired, I knew there was a glass ceiling to it. I knew that the idea was there, but it was a, a product that needed to be acquired by a bigger group. Um, for, and, and for it to be merged with a different company, for it to be successful. It was more of like an add-on or a feature, I would say. Um, yeah, it, it, there was a glass ceiling in terms of the physical product. There was a glass ceiling in terms of like the customization. There was a limit of how many orders you could do. And we were hitting that. And I was like, I remember um, a friend of mine, a friend of mine's parents, her parents bought a house in Wales. And I, it was the first ever time that I... I ran everything off my phone, like my whole life at that point off my phone. I remember leaving my phone at the house at like one o'clock and I'd go up and I went to the golf course or whatever and I was sitting there and I was like, is this actually the life I want to live in terms of building something I don't enjoy? Though the money was pretty deep, was very good. We were progressing quite well, but there was a glass ceiling and there was only so far we were going to be able to take it. And I was thinking like, am I really enjoying what I'm building? And the answer was, no, I'm not enjoying what I'm building and there's not a, it's not going to get any better than this. Um, so I kind of, we, we lined up an acquisition as, as best as possible and found an exit as I knew that I just was burnt out with the whole process and the whole business. I wasn't burnt out with business in general. I, I knew that that's what I wanted to do and I wanted to build things and I loved the startup space and I knew I had a bit of a knack for it, but that business at the time very stressful. It wasn't meant to be as big as it was. Um, and I didn't want to burn myself out for future endeavors. So I was very cautious on that. And I remember, I, I remember I was just sat there and I was like, this is not the life I want to live. And I think it took a lot of thinking to be able to, to think. Yeah. So that's, that's a very interesting story because it's like you, you got to a stage where you kind of reached the, the dimension, the diminishing like point of the curve where you yeah. kind of reached the limit in terms of like revenue, in terms of output, in terms of like all these different things. And most importantly, your your energy and your mental state, I guess, like because you were sort of like getting to a point where you just mentioned you were kind of like hating it or like really disliking what you were doing. Yeah, um, towards, towards the end, I was definitely disliking what I was doing. Um, yeah. I, in everyone's eyes, it, it was a perfect business. You know, our margins were huge, but there was no love or enjoyment in, in the products. I had yeah. no passion behind building this company. Um, that, but I knew it had legs. I just knew it had legs in a different environment. Um, mm. Yeah, and, and that, that point in, in Wales, I think I was drinking like a San Miguel at the time, was definitely like a pivot point for me. And I was like, right, th let's build something different. Um, let's mm. pivot now before I get too far along where a pivot may be harder. Yeah, so in your mind, the ac acquisition was a solution to that? Yeah, in my mind, it was a, a way out. Um, yeah. there was probably other avenues, but for me, I just, those other avenues of, um, you know, bringing uh, another chief exec on board, yeah. but I just didn't want anything to do with it. I was so burnt out with like the thought of it in my head. It, it was horrendous. I'd wake up on my phone, like my customer service notification would be like through the roof every mm. single day, or there'd be a problem and it'd be a problem I wouldn't enjoy solving. Yeah. And I understand yeah. you have those times in business, but that it was the first of a time I'd have a, I'd had away from my computer and it was, I think he had a little bit of a um, a bit of time to reflect on that half day I had a bit of time where I wasn't on my phone and I was like wow this is incredible uh, yeah I don't want to be have my head down like that where you where you got to is because yeah the margins were pretty good as you were mentioning but what you what like a lot of people don't 
think about is like the variable cost when it comes to things like time and customer service. Because like when people think about variable cost, they think about like, yeah, materials and like packaging and stuff like that. How much money you need to spend to process each order and each customer. Whereas what you're kind of describing is like, you're getting to a stage where you you have more customers, but with more customers as a group, you have more problems. If you think like 2% has, have a problem each, each month or something, 2%, you know, as the, as that group grow, it'll be more. And if you've only got like you and a few different people managing it, then yeah, that, that time cost becomes huge. So I think that's what you're kind of experiencing there in terms of the acquisition. This is an interesting one because you were getting to a stage where you weren't enjoying the business and you were looking for kind of a way out and you didn't want anything to do with it, as you just mentioned. With the acquisition, I know you can't talk about it massively, but did they come to you or did, did you like actively seek out a business to to acquire you? We knew we had a couple options abroad. Um, people that had approached us in the past. Um, and to be quite frank, we probably could have gotten a better deal um, if we would have waited longer, but I, in my head as well, it, it, the business would have dropped quite drastically if it would have kept going because we were running at a max capacity. It, it was going to stall as a company if we yeah. didn't get rid of it at this time. We kind of caught it at the, like you said, it's a bit of a chart. We caught it kind of at the peak point where we couldn't add anything else to this business. We were just kind of keeping it going. There was no prog- We had done our part and there was no progression there. Mm. And, and to be honest, I kind of looked at it from like a mental health perspective, like, it was taking its toll on relationships, friendships, and it wasn't worth it. Like if I knew the company would be worth 10 million in five years, in, in two years, I could have held out for the two years. It's that I knew that we were at the limiting, we were at the, the point of the mm. max returns and it wasn't worth it for me for, for it to be affecting relationships and friendships. Mm. And I knew I could, I had the skills and ability to, for, off the back of Hayes cards to go and raise these funds and build something quicker um, that had more potential and something I actually enjoyed building. Yeah. Just quickly on the acquisition before we move on to to the pivot. Um, mm. How did you have those acquisition, I guess, options, as you mentioned? Yeah. Um, competitors um, in the NFC space, actually, like, like you as well. Mm. Um, we At that point, I tried to grow my LinkedIn a little bit as well. And we did a bit of outreach on LinkedIn to kind of see what was out there. Um, but we sat with a partner that was our first competitor at the start. And then um, at the end, it was it turned out to be the right buy for them. Mm. So it was so, actually yeah. like direct outreach, essentially. Oh yeah, hundred percent. We had a. I remember after, this is how busy we were. We had a an active email list of, I want to say twenty five thousand uh, emails off the night of Dragon's Den, customer emails that we hadn't even reached out to. It was a newsletter list, yeah. and it's like we had so so many resources that would have gone to waste if we hadn't have achieved the acquisition. We couldn't even tap into those emails because we were so busy you know we didn't yeah, even tap into paid media using the dragon's end features we didn't even tap we stopped i think we stopped even posting on instagram tiktok because we were just at our, at our limit and it for me it was like we had all these resources that were incredible the email list of tens of thousands of uh shopify customer emails um that we hadn't even reached out to and it's like there's so much potential there but we mm. couldn't do that we couldn't and i didn't want that to go to waste and it was it was just perfect timing for, for all involved. And, yeah. and for me as well, I, I didn't want didn't want to be doing that for my later years. Makes sense. Okay, yeah, let's quickly move on to the, the pivot side. So yeah, you, you got rid of the business, you got it acquired, which is which is amazing. Massive congratulations there. What was the what was the next step after that? So what you're doing now essentially? Yeah, so after that we were thinking like what do we want to go into? Um I knew I thought 
kind of the best possible business to go into would be to solve a problem we were having at Hayes Cards, and that was the ability to offer customized products or products that have configurations and different layouts and um, quoting functions, all sorts, kind of like on the Shopify app store as well, the Etsy third-party app store, uh, Wix, Squarespace, whatever. Um, and we were like, right, we know this market so well. We've been through the trenches in this market. We know the flaws. We know problems to solve. We have a great network and a great team around us. Why not? And, and, and to be honest, I look back and I think the team we had there, their skills and mindset were best placed in a tech business, not in a mm. physical product. And we use that, that team in a physical product. It's like, why are we using our resources in a business that would thrive better in a on the tech side? So we're like, right, let's go into tech. We've got a great team that can build this out. Um, and we ended up raising uh, £250,000 in uh, eight to 10 weeks. Um, I want to say eight weeks, but eight to 10, just in my nine, before my 20th birthday. Um, my aim was to do it before my 20th birthday. So then, yeah, but an absolute whirlwind there again. But I think for us, I was so sure on, on, I could, I knew I could solve the problems and I knew there was a market for the problems that I could solve because we, me, us as the merchant before had, um, faced those problems and our network had faced those problems and we knew we could fix it. And it was just an obvious path to go down. Mm. That's really exciting. So I guess like, yeah, what's what's the next stage there? What people can like look forward to? Yeah, I think well, we've, we've got uh, our full release in the Shopify app store in January um, this upcoming year, as well as the Etsy store and uh, Wix. So yeah, you can, yeah, we'll be very cool. publishing on there very, very soon. Miles, we're going we're gonna to wrap up the podcast there, but it was such Great. a pleasure chatting to you. And uh, yeah, all that stuff uh, around Dragon's Den, around Hayes Cars, starting in your bedroom, like, yeah, massively cool story. And yeah, very, very happy to have you on, essentially. Thank you so, very much. Thank you so much again. And uh, I guess last question, how can people stay in touch with you and, and what you're doing? Yeah, LinkedIn is probably best. M-Y-L-E-S, um, Miles Dickinson, um, and then on Instagram as well. Perfect. Thank you so much, my friend, for coming Great. on. And I'm sure we'll chat very soon. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Cheers.